Thank you for listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best ways are to leave a five-star review and subscribe on your favorite platform and follow us on Twitter or Instagram at lunchpailguys underscore. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 169th episode of the Lunch Pal Guys podcast. I'm your host, Aiden, here with everybody today. We got Lucas, Bart, Wyatt, and Jared. Uh, we're going to start out, per usual, with some news we missed. To begin, Daniel Jones is apparently demanding a $45 million uh, or 45 per year uh, contract from the Giants. Thoughts on the uh, how realistic this is? There's no Honestly. way. I mean, the price goes up every time I look at it. But I guess shoot for the stars, you might land on the moon. Maybe they'll give him 42. But, dude, if we re-sign him, even for how, how big of a fan I am of, of Dable, I might switch teams. I might root for uh, the, the Bears or something like that. Resign him for that price <laughs> or just at all? For that price. If he gets okay. signed for like a $20 million, whatever. But... <laughs> yeah, they better not give him. I saw a projected five years, two hundred million. There bet there oh better gosh. not be a contract oh. like that. That was like yeah, hilarious if it that. comes out tomorrow that he's signed a twenty million a year deal. But they can tag him right for like thirty two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel oh, like yeah, that's the him. move, right? Like I, I would assume, yeah. yeah. And keep Jalen no. Hurts' contract price down, so, you know. Yeah, I guess why you want to get rid of him entirely. They, but they declined his yeah, fifth-year yeah. option, and it's like he he threw he had one season where he didn't turn the ball over, but he still only threw 15 touchdowns. Like, it's not it was not a dramatic approve, improvement. It's not even his most the most touchdowns he's had in a given season. His, his rookie <laughs> season, he had 24. Then he had 10 and 11 the years before that. So it's like, I know that 15 is better than 11, um, and he didn't turn the ball over as much. Let's not act like he's anywhere above the 18th best quarterback in the league. So paying him 45, even if it bumps him down, like I know that Herbert's going to sign and Burrow's going to sign and, and Hertz is expected to sign as well and Lamar. But like just because he's – he would now then be like the 13th highest paid quarterback in the league doesn't mean it's a good deal. Yeah. Well, that's his agent. That's not him. Don't blame Daniel Jones. Good for his, his agent. Go for it. Yeah, exactly. His agent's really <laughs> – doing the most out there mm-hmm. um another <laughs> nfl news we missed eric the is headed to the commanders to be their offensive coordinator i think we had yeah we've vaguely discussed in the past the idea of a lateral move for him and he seemed to take us up on that so <laughs> what do we uh what do we think of this move i don't know i'm frustrated on his behalf i've talked i've like read about like other um read coordinators who have made the jump to head coach not having to do this. Doug Peterson being the most recent example of somebody who was Reed's coordinator, did not call plays, mm-hmm. and yet he got a head coaching opportunity. Bienemy was more successful than Peterson was, and yet still to make a lateral move. So I am mm-hmm. angry on his behalf, I would say. Yeah. For sure. And Matt Nagy and Zach Taylor have gotten hired from those positions. Kevin O'Connell was not a play caller last year, and he got hired from that type of position. Um, how Mike McDaniel was the run game coordinator and he got yeah. hired as a head coach from that posi- from an offensive coordinator type of position, you know? Um, so yeah, no, I agree. It's unfortunate. Hopefully 
for quarterbacks, for young quarterbacks, we value the idea that they go and they sit behind a veteran and they learn the game and they understand. Um, for a guy who spent five years with Andy Reid and has won two championships, it feels like that's lost. But I expect mm-hmm. one, I expect Ron Rivera to get fired at some point this season, to be honest. <laughs> um, so he will probably take over the head co- uh, coaching ability. And I expect him to show a level of poise and um, the the things that he has learned from Andy Reid. So um, he's he, hopefully he is more than capable to go out there and, and prove everybody wrong. Hopefully, though, he doesn't end up with the Commanders. I feel like that's, like, one of the worst. That's Unless he gets the sold, that's, like, thing. the worst spot to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rivera okay. will be fired, and yeah. then he'll say, you know what, I'm actually going to peace out as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I know that's a bit of my concern, though, here, is that, yeah, the Commanders are obviously not known for being the most competent franchise. I don't want to see him just fade off the radar because the Commanders aren't good. And it's not necessarily related to his skill or whatnot, but mm-hmm. anyway, it's a gamble. But yeah, we we're hoping for the best here. Um, the last news we missed is that, and I think Bart had mentioned this as the thing that was very likely going to happen last week. Uh, but Notre Dame officially announced that Gerard Parker, their previous tight end coach, is the new offensive coordinator. We talked about, you know the hoping for a, a more splashy move here but it seems like we're we're hiring from an in-house we don't need you know to go out there on the market we got we got plenty of talent we like <laughs> we didn't revisit my rant from last week no. jared parker's fine <laughs> the same you know yeah a little, a little disappointing but you know once being a notre dame fan if not a little disappointing um, yeah Okay, moving into our first segment, uh, all five head coach job openings are now officially filled. So if you know you put applications in for that, sorry, I, I don't think you got the job unless you're one of the, the five people we mentioned next. Um, so we're gonna go John through. Jonathan Gannon is uh, tuning in. Right yeah, exactly. Oh wait, I've heard, so. <laughs> didn't even get a yeah rejection email. Just just sad. Um, but the yeah, so we're gonna go through for each coach. Um, the first person's gonna sign a grade you know, letter grades, F through A plus for the team. And then the second person is going to say whether they think that grade is too high, too low, um, or just right. So we're going to start out with the Arizona Cardinals, who hired Jonathan Gannon. Uh, Lucas, he was your your team's defensive coordinator this year. What are your thoughts on the hire? I'm going to go C- minus on this one. Whoa. Whoa, uh, most sports damn. sites have this one as one of the lowest graded hires. And I think I agree on that front. Before moving forward, I do want to note that the Eagles offered him more money to stay on as defensive coordinator than the Cardinals offered him to become head coach, which is wild that they would devote that much money for that to happen. But he said he wanted to be a head coach, and I guess I appreciate him taking the opportunity. That being said, this isn't a total disaster of a hire, but I don't think it's a very good one. And I'm going to give some fit and performance-centered reasons why I think so. For fit... I don't think it maximizes what the Cardinals need at this time. They need somebody who can help Kyler sort of find his footing again, make that offense do something behind him in a way that it hasn't, and Gannon is not an offensive mind who will get the best out of Kyler. Yes, the Cardinals have had a bottom-half defense, but it seems like the defensive issues can be more easily remedied by bringing in a good DC. 
than the offensive issues that currently face them. Plus, and Jared has brought this up before in other podcasts, I don't know if there's really any logic in hiring defensive coordinators as head coaches anymore. It seems like everybody who's succeeding in the NFL is bringing in offensive minds to maximize their offense and then just getting a good DC to help. So for all those reasons, I'm not sure about Gannon. On his performance for the Eagles, to some extent I get it. By statistical measures, the Eagles had one of the best defenses this year. But sometimes it felt like it was just because they had so much talent and not because of a great scheme from Gannon. Especially in the second half of the Super Bowl, Gannon was completely outclassed by Chief, by the Chiefs and Andy Reid. I think that might be a representative, or that might be representative of a greater issue. Even today, I saw I got a little blurb from NFL, the NFL app that said that Gannon took like full responsibility for them losing. So we'll see what that means. But I think it's an a maybe upside higher. I just don't see a lot of reasons to think that Gannon's going to be a wildly successful head coach given the fit on the Cardinals, plus just his performance on the Eagles, especially when faced with really good offenses like they saw with the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Yeah. What do you think, Jared? Well, well said. I, I actually gave him a C, so I guess I'm going higher um, than what you said. I'm not as pessimistic, but I also like don't love it. He is a player's coach, as Wyatt showed me in a video. Um, really strong <laughs> interactions and introductions <laughs> with his players. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's kind of, he did his best job against the like the worst competition that they played. And I think maybe you could say the two best quarterbacks they played in Dak and uh, Dak and Patrick Mahomes kind of lit them up. Um, so I think that's alarming, like you said, to Lucas. The main thing I wrote down was just that uh, when good coaching happens in like their second half adjustments, I think you see it especially in the college level where if uh, some team is like um, unexpectedly like challenging a Goliath or something, when you, when you get into the third quarter, you see like, okay, did these coaches figure something out and like actually get this game going? It probably happens to a lesser extent in the NFL, but it definitely happened here where they didn't really, the defense did not figure anything out and the offense figured uh, Chiefs offense figured something out and out schemed them essentially. So I think that's where I'd be like, okay, then how much better coaching are you going to get in Arizona? I pretty much agree with all your other points too. Like they should, they needed to get an offensive guy to try to keep, like keep Kyler happy and everything too, but and maximize his potential. So I guess a little slightly higher, but we're pretty much on the same page. So. Moving on to the Panthers. They hired Frank Reich, former Colts coach Wyatt. What's your grade for him? I'm going to go with a B minus. He's probably the one of the better or best retreads out there. And I certainly don't think that he's awful because it didn't work out in Indy. But um, I, got, I do have two problems with the hire. One, is he really an established elite-level head coach? He, I know that his part in the Carson Wentz success is well-documented, but there is some deserved room for skepticism going through his ability. Did not work again necessarily for Carson Wentz, even if that was one of his better years. And obviously, at the end of Indy, um, it did not look very good going from that from Wentz to Matt Ryan. So um, it, it's not an indictment because I don't think Indy did a great job of putting talent, at least especially at the quarterback position, because they went from retread to retread to retread. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's kind of like, has he figured it all the way out as a head coach? Um, one of the other things I just didn't like, and this isn't his fault, I just wish they got Ben Johnson. I like Ben Johnson from De- Detroit. 
Um, mm. Slightly contradicts a previous comment because Johnson doesn't have anything to fall back on as far as success goes. But I do think that he's one of the greater, uh, going to be one of the greater offensive minds in the league coming up. And I just happen to have a soft spot for Detroit. <laughs> I'd rather Bart, win what do you them. got? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I had him at a B, so pretty close. Um, I think the the Ben Johnson thing might not have been their fault because I, I I got the sense that he wanted to go back to Detroit and he resigned pretty quick. I was actually kind of upset. This is also not Frank Reich's fault, and I had mentioned this on a previous episode that Steve Wilkes was a very valid candidate, and he seems like he wasn't even given a shot as their interim guy. But you know, that's again, that's not Reich's fault. I think this is a B because I mean, kind of like what you were saying, White. We've seen what Reich did in, in Indianapolis, and it was it was solid. Like he went forty, mm-hmm. thirty three, and one, mm-hmm. and his his rosters were never super talented. Like you mentioned, White, the quarterbacks were all retreads. He had that one really good season with Andrew Luck, right in his first season. Uh, they made the playoffs. It's always going to be a what if about what they could have done if he hadn't retired. Um, but the flip side of that is that you kind of get the sense that like he needs a, an elite franchise kind of quarterback to fall into his lap here in Carolina, or it's going to be more of the same. And so I guess we'll see if that happens. But like I do think it's admirable that he was able to keep the Indianapolis Colts like afloat with rosters that weren't ever you know particularly great. That bodes well. Okay, moving on to the big ticket hire. The Broncos got Sean Payton. Jared, what's your grade? I'm just going to give it an A+. I think definitely the best coach on the market here. Um, and if, I think if Sean Payton takes the job, that means he thinks Russell Wilson is fixable and still viable. He's already off to a great start, and then he, um, when asked if uh, Russell Wilson's Team 3 was still going to be around, he said, yeah, that's foreign to me. That's not going to happen here. So I think already off to a pretty good start. Um in terms of just trying to rein Russell Wilson in a little bit, rein his ego in a little bit, I think he kind of needs that. Obviously, got bruised pretty badly just with the season he had, but I think overall it's a good fit, and you're also getting a super solid defense, so you, you don't even need to really be that good on offense. You just have to not be terrible, and you're going to have a pretty good season. So I'd say A+. Lucas, you can only, I guess, agree or go down. What do you think? <laughs> I'm... I'm gonna I'm gonna agree. I think it's an A plus hire. He's obviously the best uh, coach that was available out there. And I want to note that when we predicted these way like a month ago or whatever, I said that this was gonna happen, and everybody else is like, "This is his least likely landing spot." So I wanna <laughs> I should have booked it, but I did not. Um, the Chargers job didn't open at that point. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. In my defense, I was also exactly. banking on the Chargers job. <laughs> well done, though. Fair. You didn't book it though, in any probably, case, but yeah, so no, it's, it didn't make it in the dock. I'm I sorry. didn't. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I should book more takes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you didn't book it. You didn't more say. chance okay. to get them right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll book they win nine games this year. But no, I think it's a great yeah. hire. He's <laughs> the Eagles are gonna win it. I'll book. No, I'm not gonna book that. Um, but. No, I think Payton's the best coach on the market. He's won a Super Bowl. He has won a Super Bowl with a fairly comparable, undersized reclamation project quarterback. Um, And so I think, like, obviously, though, Drew Brees was way younger than Russ is now. I think absolutely still a great hire for the Broncos. I had an A A or A+. I didn't know if we were doing A-pluses, but now that we are, um, I'll give him an A+. And I'll agree with Jared. (laughs) Okay, next we've got the Houston Texans hired uh, D'Amico Ryans from the 49ers. Bart, your grade? 
Yeah, I also didn't know we were doing A pluses. In my mind, an A plus is like bringing back Vince Lombardi, which is why I had this as an A. <laughs> but I think it's this is a really solid hire. I talked to, on another episode about how I really liked D'Amico Ryan's in this in this candidate cycle, and so I'm I guess I'm happy for the Texans that they got him. Um, like it's for one thing, it's obviously a cool story because he was drafted by them, played for five years there, so he's quote unquote coming home. I think their Twitter team said something like that, which is always funny. Mm-hmm. But like you look at the 49ers defense, right? Two seasons with him as defensive coordinator, they were ninth and third in, in points per game and yards per game, and then first and second. So you know you can talk about how talented that roster is, but still, him being the defensive coordinator has to count for something. I know the Texans' offense was really bad. So this kind of goes against what Lucas was saying about how everybody should be hiring offense at this point. Obviously, they didn't do that, but I think it's okay because their defense was also really bad. And the opposite of what Lucas said is that you can hire a defensive-minded guy and then get a good OC. It's not out of the question. And he has hired a good staff. Everybody loves this guy. Kyle Shanahan loves him. The players love him. He seems to be really good at his X's and O's, but also he's just like super charismatic and likable. So I think this is a good hire that'll jolt some energy into this Texans organization that has been kind of just extremely meh over the past few years. Yeah, I also had it at an A. Um, I did know there were A pluses because I make the rules here. Um, but I feel like the A pluses as Jared. Thanks and, for sharing that with everybody. <laughs> I wrote it. It's on the outline. Yeah, it's on the outline. Right. Is it? <laughs> okay. The evidence is there. Um, but you're right. You're right. I should have read the instructions more carefully. Um, but we negotiated our contract. He's a skimmer. I, I did a good job. A lawyer that. out here. <laughs> I did. Um, but but no, I think the A pluses like as Lucas and Jared, you know, gave to Sean Payton. I think it's reserved to, for guys who have proven success as a head coach, um, which D'Amico Ryan's doesn't have. But I feel like he's the best, you know, new candidate uh, this cycle. So I think it's a really good hire. I agree with yeah that the the one kind of potential drawback is the fact that the Texans are probably going to be drafting a franchise QB um, in in May, and so. We've seen what a young you know, young QBs like Mahomes or Burrow, you know, thrive under offensive-minded coaches. So you can kind of see the feedback on on that potentially. But but as Bart said, he's hired a good staff. Bobby Slowick, um, he poached from the 49ers as well, um, is, is seems like a good hire. So I'm I'm not super worried about that. I'm more so worried about him being hired by the Texans, who have you know fired hired and fired head coaches in back-to-back <laughs> seasons. Um, who like really didn't do that poor of a job given the roster, um, so so I'm hoping that he doesn't get kind of screwed over by them. Okay, and up last we've got the Colts, uh, Shane Steichen. Um, I have it at an A minus. I think it's a good hire. Um, part of that is there's you know a, a low bar for the Colts. You know they didn't hire Jeff Saturday, and so that's good. That's that's a win. Um, but but I really do think it's good. Um, and I, I love this thriving Colts Eagles coaching exchange with Frank Reich and Sirianni and now Steichen uh, going between them. Uh, but you know Philly had a great season, one of the best offenses by pretty much any metric. You know you saw it in the Super Bowl; they rolled on offense pretty much, and he was the play caller for it. Um, and he's shown success with multiple QBs, pretty different ones too. Like Philip Rivers was good with him. You know, Steichen took over as QB's coach in 2016, and Rivers went to three straight Pro Bowls under him. Herbert's rookie year was his first year, like year as a offensive coordinator. Herbert won Rookie of the Year, and then we've obviously seen what Hurts did under him. So, given that the Colts will, it feels like almost certainly, you know, be taking a QB in this draft as well. It feels like the right choice 
um, given their situation. But Wyatt, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to agree. Uh, here's the problem with the Colts is it all depends on how much Jim Ursay is really involved. Mm-hmm. He is an involved head coach. He's an extremely outspoken – or not head coach, uh, owner. Mm-hmm. He's a very outspoken owner. So if yep. he is like, we should drop yeah. this guy because I think so, he's going to be set up for failure. But <clears throat> ultimately, ultimately, like you said, um, the Colts are in a position to land a new quarterback, and he has had some success with other quarterbacks. Anybody who has a background – with working with quarterbacks specifically, I think has an advantage. More likely than not, they're going to have the number one overall pick um, if they trade up. And um, with that, even if they go for a wild card like Anthony Richardson or um, Will Levis, there's a chance that he can develop him in the same way that Jalen Hurts has kind of grown as a passer as well. So I think A-minus is good. Again, I think there are outside factors, um, specifically the owner, that will set him up for failure. But the GM is smart. He is smart. So as far as like him being the one hired, I think is a good move. Yeah, there's a reason why some of these teams need new coaches or are so bad right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like some of them are more environmental than can be fixed by just a single coach. But we will see. Um, and before we move on to our next topic, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Lunchpail Guys podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. It's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hands with DraftKings Sportsbooks, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook today, opt in, and place a same-game parlay on an NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. Download the app now and sign with code TPPN. New customers can bet just $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TPPN. So for our second topic of the day, uh, we're going to be going through for, I I think our plan is to do every team, uh, do kind of a state of the team um, for, for each NFL team. Kind of where they're at right now, where they're headed, um, and and what they can do in the off season and in the the future to kind of um, get on a competitive track. And so we're going to start from the bottom. We're starting from the team with the worst record in the NFL, the Chicago Bears. And Wyatt, I'm going to throw it to you first uh, to start. Should the Bears be in full on rebuild rebuild mode right now, um, or should they actually make a push to to compete? I think it's still a full on rebuild mode. I made a motto for them, for them to carry throughout this offseason. The motto is, don't mm-hmm. blow your load. 70% of lottery winners actually end up going bankrupt <laughs> at so, uh, in a couple of years after winning the lottery. And this team, the NFL offseason, is going to make its way through Chicago first and then move on to the rest of the teams. They have the most amount of cap space by a mile with $97 million. The next highest is Atlanta with 55 And, you know, Chicago still could make some more cuts that eventually get them over the $100 million mark. So they're going to be able to outbid anybody. They obviously have the number one overall pick, and they're going to find a way to probably trade back, gather some assets, and do whatever they got to do. But they can do whatever move that they need to. The only thing is is when teams are in this position, similar to people who win the lottery, you don't want to just go, well, I'll go buy a new house, and I'll get a Lamborghini, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. We need to set ourselves up for success so that way, even if we spend a bunch of money this year, a week and able to be build forward 
um, you know, build going forward. A couple of the rules of uh, a lot, and I apologize to the fan, a lot, a little bit of exposition here to kind of fill you in the way that the <laughs> salary cap works and some terminology that we might use as we go on. Uh, first and foremost, the signing bonus. The signing bonus is a part of the guaranteed money package. Players get that money right away, and that money is spread out through the life of the contract. So if somebody signs a $10 million contract for five years, that $10 million is hit against the cap spread out over the five years, right? Void years basically add blank years for the signing bonus to spread across. This has no effect on the player's eligibility to go to a free agency, but a player like James Bradbury for the Giants had two void years, so his signing bonus was spread across two extra years, even if he's no longer on the team. And then, of course, guaranteed money. There's mainly a part of the player's base salary that the player is for sure going to get whether he's on the team or not. The structures can often vary. Teams can front load those contracts where all the guaranteed money is within the first two to three years, or they can go to the back load of the contracts where, um, like Matt Ryan, where he was like, he, he has a couple years left, but he had a $40, $40 million cap hit against the Falcons. Mm-hmm. And lastly, there's dead money. Money is, that's being paid to a player who's no longer on the roster. It's a combo of the signing bonus and guaranteed money from a player who's been cut. If a player obviously doesn't have any guaranteed money, then there's no money, uh, guaranteed money that's getting hit, just the signing bonus. There's a pre-June 1st distinction. All the remaining dead hit money hits the cap that current year. And there's a post-June 1st where the remaining of the dead money is spread across the current league year and the next league year. So those things are going to influence some of the choices that teams will make um, throughout the year. Uh, most of it is kind of how teams can navigate around the cap. They'll move base salary into signing bonuses and yada, 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 and then eventually become the New Orleans Saints where you have all the money <laughs> due this year. <clears throat> but let's give some moves just to kind of make this more exciting. I'm sorry for the exposition, but it's going to make some more sense as we go on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have $97 million. They only have $19 million in dead money, so that's good. It doesn't really matter. Most of it is Roquan Smith who got traded. Not really that big of a deal. We don't care. There's nothing that we're going to do. I'm not going to cut anybody. I'm not going to trade anybody. It doesn't matter. We have more money than anybody else, twice. Um, the offensive line, edge rusher, and wide receiver are our three biggest concerns coming into this offseason. Right now for offensive line, I'm going to overpay for Orlando Brown Jr., if the Kansas City Chiefs, I imagine they're probably going to want to bring him back. They just want a Super Bowl with him. But he was tagged, and he did not end up signing a contract. I can't imagine that he's going to be happy going on another tag year. He was a gold, good soldier. He ended up winning a Super Bowl. He did everything right. And if they don't want to give his, him his money, I'm going to give him a little bit more than what SpockTrack, which is what I use. It's a website for the cap has him valued at, which is at $22 million a year. I'm going to pay him anywhere from 25 to $27 million a year. Outbid everybody. It's going to be cold. It's going to be Chicago. You got to pay a little bit more to entice some people over. <laughs> Brown's an instant impact player at left tackle. At the given position, when you have the option to sign a top eight guy in free agency, he's PFF has him at four, um, you got to make the move. And it's going to be a young tackle that can grow with fields or whoever is behind center and give Chicago some flexibility in the draft. And I'm going to do one more move, and then I'll open it up so everybody else can uh, speak. Defensive line, I'm going to add Deron Payne from Washington. He is the uh, interior uh, defensive lineman. It's entirely on the board that Chicago trades back to four and lands Jalen Carter, who is 
for some people, the best prospect on the board. But the great thing about free agency is that it gives you the ability to shape your draft. Payne had 12 sacks last season from the interior defensive line position. The interior defensive line has become incredibly important for the modern NFL defense. A lot of teams will go three down, um, and an interior D lineman has to be able to two-gap, become an effective pass rusher. And you see plenty of teams, like anyone that runs the Vic Fangio offense, defense, will use a strong guy at nose or D tackle. So I'd overpay for him again. Spock Jack has him at about 19. I'm going to put him, I'm going to give him about $20 million as well. So this is obviously a best case scenario for Chicago. Um, Washington and KC can tag both players, but the bears will, and it will require the bears to pivot. But right now, you know, I'm going to spend as much money as possible on instant impact players and avoid overpaying for guys like Jacoby Myers, just because we want a wide receiver and uh, mm-hmm. use a draft to fill in the rest of the boards there because we can get as many assets as we need. Yeah, I think if you're the Bears, you want to avoid the situation with what happened to the Patriots where they were the biggest spenders in the offseason and they like didn't they didn't either didn't get any better or got worse um, over the offseason. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's going to be about using the money smartly and correctly. And yeah, I think where the um, Patriots used it, for example, was kind of overpaying for a lot of offensive players. Um, that didn't work out for mm-hmm. them. So it's kind of smart to dole it out the way that I think you were doing it. Protect the quarterback. I mean, getting them weapons is like a dime a dozen, I think, in a lot of ways. Protect the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Go go get theirs. Like, that's kind of the old logic now at, at this point, but it, it does work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, games are won in the trenches, and I think that, like, if you're going to overspend anywhere, it should be, like you mentioned, right? like, on the offensive line and the defensive line. Like, I don't know. I know that, like, coming into last year, into last season there was like a big sort of you know push in like nfl circles that like weapons are easily replaceable you saw that sort of manifested with like the titans trading aj brown for a pick and then just pick Traylon mm-hmm. burks um the chiefs trading away tyree kill and i think there's like sort of like mixed results on that like conclusively like i think the titans did get substantially worse without aj brown and the eagles did get substantially better but with the chiefs it's like their offense got better without tyree kill so i think that like it's not conclusive enough one way or the other that it's worth really overpaying unless it's a sure, sure thing um, for your weapon. So, yeah, I think especially interior defensive line is where they've really struggled last year in getting pressure, getting sacks. So I think any sort of paying, overpaying there is sort of justified. Yeah. Yeah, on the weapons front, like another positive example of it was the Jags last year. Who, I mean, Christian Kirk was a, a bit of money, but just kind of bought a couple. Like, didn't get an A.J. Brown, for example. But they added Evan Ingram. They added um, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk. And you could see the difference with Trevor. Um, so, like, I feel like they need to get Justin Fields something. But the difficulty is that it's a pretty weak wide receiver class. And so it's going to mean that everyone overpays for, as you said, Jacoby Myers or for Juju. Um, or for OBJ, you know, with the, you know, who missed the entire year. So we'll see. Yeah, it seems like in general, the free agent class is heavily catered towards defense, which I mean, obviously yeah. the Bears could use. But yeah, like they're like Saquon, I think is a, is a running back free agent. Is that right? Yeah. Um, but like in general, yeah, there's like a handful of relevant running backs and like no relevant receivers. So yeah. <laughs> the Bears should definitely not push themselves and focus on the draft for those i think yeah and yeah, i the, feel like the running back class is pretty good 
but it just doesn't yeah, feel Sanders like where the Bears need to spend their money right, right now. Even if David Montgomery, who is also a free agent, is just kind of mid, um, I don't think they should be spending big. Yeah. In draft wise, yeah, no, I think and sorry, draft wise, okay, um, it's not super top heavy, but it's pretty deep, and they can afford to go and get a guy in the second round. Trading a second round pick for Claypool has been pretty bad for them so far. But yeah. like I said, if they if they ex- yeah. do what we expect them to do and they trade back for the number one overall pick, um, they can go and they can get a guy somewhere in the early second round if they gather some assets. I actually think they should trade back twice. Trade back to number four mm. um, with the Colts and then maybe trade back again with Las Vegas, Atlanta, Carolina, if those teams are hungry as well. There's also the option to trade back to two with the Texans, and then they can trade back again to four. Um, so I think that they have a, the real possibility to gather a ton of assets this year yeah. and be able to get a guy maybe from the seven to nine range and then maybe get another guy in the second round. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it's not super top-heavy. Like, there's no Marvin Harrison this year, but um, there are <laughs> guys like Zay Flowers who are going to be available probably in the later round of this draft or in the second round. Yeah. Because they really do have so many holes, you know, like on, on defense, they had, what was it, one defensive player in the top 32 uh, at their respective position yeah. ranked by PFF. Um, <laughs> on offense, you have, yeah, no wide receiver besides Cole Komet over 500 yards, you know. Their offensive line was weak, yeah. Go so Irish, just, though. They need depth. Well, yeah, exactly. Go Irish. Name light. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Cole Komet is one guy I saw who uh, people think they should extend this offseason because he's eligible for an extension. Yeah. He's one of their better choices for that. But in general, it seems like they have a lot of flexibility because because their roster is so bad. <laughs> they, there's nobody mm-hmm. that they need to make sure that exactly. they resign or anything yeah. like that, which I guess is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an okay problem to have. Yeah, no, I've seen the same thing a lot about Komet, that like he should get extended. He is a small, bright spot on an otherwise yeah. anemic receiving yeah. core. Okay, another topic, we've seen the headlines about them potentially shopping Justin Fields. Do we think that should it all be in the cards or no? Yes. Mm. Yeah. No. Go ahead, Bart. I, I think it should be in the cards solely for the fact that he only has two years left on his contract. Mm-hmm. We talk so much about how much rookie deals matter and giving your team cap space. If they drafted a guy who is even sort of equivalent talent-wise, they get two extra years Imagine what the GM could do with four years of roster building with this much cap space right now. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that the quarterback would be better. I'm not saying I'm not believing in Justin Fields. I just think it should be on the table at least. Mm-hmm. They also didn't draft him too. This the current GM and coach didn't draft him. So mm-hmm. there could be there could be that they want to get their own guy. If you really do like somebody like Bryce Young better than you like Justin Fields. I want it, I hope they don't do it for like mm-hmm. Will Levis or something or like one of these random guys that kind of just shoot up the board. Yeah, no, no, no. But um, if you feel like you like him better than Justin Fields, it's like, I don't know. Justin Fields, his upside is like, we don't really know quite yet, I guess. It's not, it's not, obviously, it's not Trevor Lawrence, obviously. Like, so I'd be fine with them going with somebody like Bryce Young if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. I feel like Fields would be the best quarterback in this draft, though. If he was coming out of college at the same time, I think it's just – I understand that people like their own guy. I think that's such a silly notion 
Um, you didn't make it up. It's it happens not, all, they the do time. It all the time. No, they do it all the time. It's not. It's not based off of nothing. But it's a silly notion for like. Does a GM never like the guy that they that they uh, <laughs> ended up acquiring? Has that ever happened where they're like, oh, you know, I actually like this guy. I feel like the, the, what a silly idea that you have to always turn over the roster in your image. Because um, I think the Fields does provide a lot of upside. He would probably, like I said, he'd probably be the best quarterback in this draft coming out. You can make the case that CJ Stroud or Bryce Young might be better, but as passers. But at the same time, as like football players, I think that Fields has the room to grow. And like we've said this entire segment, there's their roster is pretty anemic when it comes to talent anywhere else that, I don't know, has he proven that he can't do it? I don't think so. Yeah, I'm with Bart that I feel like the only reason that they should even consider doing that is to reset the clock, or that would be the only like potentially logical reason for it. Anything else, like we know how hard it is to hit on a QB, and it seems like Justin Fields is more promising than the standard top 10 even QB, so we'll see. Yeah. Okay, last question. What do we see as the Bears' floor slash ceiling next year? You know, we saw the Jags. Again, bringing up the Jags had the worst record last year and made it to the divisional round this year. Do we think a turnaround like that's possible for the Bears or are they farther away? I feel like the momentum in the NFL is that teams are never that bad in back-to-back years, but I don't think they're going to be good. Like, I think there may be a seven-win team on the upside of things. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't think so. I, and think, I think that's like a, a stretch. I think it's a stretch. I, there's, there, the window is, the floor is, they're right back here at the number one overall pick next yeah. year. And, and yeah. I think Agreed. I do think that the ceiling is their second place in that division. Whether, whether Whatever that looks like, we don't know. That could <laughs> yeah. be six wins. Mm-hmm. That could be eight wins. Because um, I think that right now it's Minnesota and then the Packers have question marks. Detroit, I really like Detroit, but... <laughs> They got to prove that they can get up in there um, and make the playoffs. <clears throat> and right now, Chicago, if they make all the right moves, they're going to be a relatively talented roster. Now, of course, you got to you say, well, if they draft, if they get every single draft pick right and they get every single free agency deal right, then, of course, they're going to be good. Um, but if you do 70% right, then I think they have a high ceiling. Otherwise, they make every mistake wrong and they're awful again, which, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, Jared, do you have them as a four-win team as ceiling? or That's like expectation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think okay. ceiling might be like six wins, though, not that much higher. I don't think, I don't think this is a Jaguars-Trevor Lawrence turnaround. They had Doug Peterson. Mm-hmm. They had Trevor Lawrence. Like, I mean, obviously, we haven't seen their offseason yet, but they did everything right <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Like, it depends what their offseason is. Like, if they go out and really do yeah. spend all their money, I don't know. It seems like they could be a, a seven eight, mm-hmm. yeah, win team. But mm-hmm. all right. Well, you know who's gonna go seventeen and zero next year? This podcast in takes every week. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, keep listening for great transitions like that. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Spotify. Make sure you're downloading there too. It really helps us out. Follow us on all our socials at Guys. We're on TikTok, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. And thanks for listening in. And tune in later this week where we are going to talk about NFL players who are being wasted on their current teams. And we'll pitch some new sports documentaries for you to watch. Thanks for listening. Bye.